0: Welcome back to the World Extreme Medicine Podcast. My name's Will Duffin, GP and Education Lead. Are you a paramedic, doctor, nurse, or health professional looking to connect with other like-minded people who also want to follow a diverse and adventurous career? If so, then you're in the right place. In this podcast series, we're talking to both medical and non-medical high performers who are sharing their stories and expertise. Today's big topic is technology in healthcare. And to explore this with me, our guest today is Stacy Welker. Stacy's a registered nurse based in St. George's, Utah. She's a trauma practitioner and acute care surgeon's first assistant dealing with critically ill patients every day. And she can sometimes be found lecturing on trauma care for Dixie State University. Stacey's also the Vice President of Clinical Services for a telemedicine company, that's Remote Health Solutions, and she allows uh, medical access to military, corporate, airline, remote and austere uh, environments, alongside also remote patient monitoring for chronically ill patients. Stacey, welcome to the podcast.
1: Thanks, Will. I appreciate you having me on today.
0: Yeah, it's great, great to have you. And it sounds with this current pandemic that you are absolutely in the right industry,
1: yeah, we really are it's been been very busy it's been it's a very exciting time for us right now, like you said it's it's very it's very new the technology is great um and we're really hoping we can help
0: yeah with absolutely. This do you yeah. think that uh, one of perhaps one of the huge positives that will come out of of this pandemic is that it will accelerate? the um, the use of, of technology in healthcare in, in general?
1: Yes, definitely. Um, we believe that technology is the future of medicine. I mean, we're seeing this throughout the military um, as well as remote patient monitoring with our chronically ill patients. And now with COVID-19, um, we're really seeing that we can make a big impact with telemedicine within hospitals and, and ICUs to really be able to protect our healthcare providers and provide good patient care
0: yeah and um what's, uh, amazes me about some of the uh technology you've been working on is the the broad scope so you provide technology not just for uh conventional uh patient care in in hospital clinics and and uh inpatient uh care you also for quite remote and austere environments so some really kind of rugged rugged tech that's meant to to withstand some quite harsh environments.
1: Yeah, definitely. Um, in fact, when um, Adam Hartage, our CEO and Dr. John Baugh, our chief medical officer started this company, it was really intended for downrange military uh, medics. Uh, we wanted to be able to help them treat at the point of injury. So we have devices specifically for point of care, austere environments. We have larger kits for prolonged field care um, and things that can be used out really in the back of a um, a rig or a helicopter or anything like that so it is very robust and our connection our connectability is is far beyond um, any other technology out there so we're able to connect um, in real, pretty much any way we you can think of
0: so yeah you can take this stuff anywhere that's uh, that's amazing yeah um so in terms of tele telehealth what do you think are the in what way do you think that's a huge enabler in healthcare? How can that how how is that going to change the the way we practice uh, in kind of day to day healthcare?
1: Well, I think there's a lot of different ways. Um, one being that we're just short providers. There's not enough physicians, at least in the United States. There's not enough physicians. There's not enough nurse practitioners to really take care of the population, our aging population. So technology really has to to take over to to help with that problem. So what we're seeing is um, telemedicine coming out of being a real promising avenue to really treat patients, you know, whether it's, you know, scheduling telemedicine visits so you can see more patients or sending them home with a small device to monitor them daily to keep them out of the hospital. So there's a lot of different avenues that we can use telemedicine for. And I I do think it is the, the future of medicine. So there's a lot of things we can do with our technology to be able to really run diagnostic testing. Um, And not just a simple FaceTime video.
0: Yeah, because at at the moment, certainly my experience of telehealth in my work as a GP, we've just started consulting um, using Zoom type platforms. So it's very basic video consulting. um, And we're all just getting the hang of that. I think it's uh, the whole etiquette around consulting remotely is is very different. I think clinicians and patients are, are currently really adjusting to that. Um, But but some of the stuff that you've been working on a- offers lots of additional things, not just that video contact. What other uh, kind of added features are there that that you've been working on?
1: Right. So some of our larger kits, um, we can we can run a a twelve lead EKG. So the physician can actually be watching a patient, looking at them, seeing if they're cold, um, diaphoretic, short of breath, while they're seeing a live EKG come across. We can do spirometry. We can do vital signs we can do um and um, ophthalmoscopes just with our kits and devices so the physician on the other side is seeing everything that's being done in real time we even have the capability of assisting in a video um, laryngoscope to help intubate a patient you know and you can do this from across the world and actually see the cords and help walk someone through that
0: i mean that is that's phenomenal so you're moving to a point where the physician can be completely remote, but can do quite advanced, uh, examinations and investigations, you know, EKGs, ECGs, and, uh, and, um, otoscopy and laryngoscopy from a thousand miles away. That that's unbelievable.
1: Right. Right. It's very exciting for us. Yeah. We, we're, we're pretty proud of our technology and yeah. where we're going with this.
0: So, yeah. Um, I mean, do you think, that, what is the end game for this? Do you think this will ultimately enable uh, remote consulting to replace face-to-face clinical contact?
1: I don't think that it will replace. I think it has a definitely a place in medicine. I also think that there's something to be said with a provider at the bedside. You know, I think, I think it's definitely needed in situations where you still should have patient contact. Um, but if we can do um, things remotely, um, say like if, with COVID-19 to keep our healthcare providers safe, then I think we should. So I, th- I think they are, I think it's a comp, it's complementary to a bedside provider.
0: Sure. Sure. Absolutely. I, I mean, from a, a clinician's point of view, I, I personally feel that, um, there's a huge added value to that face-to-face contact for certain patients, and uh, uh, in terms of job satisfaction as well. So much of our life now revolves around screens. It's a really nice, really valuable part of my work to see people in the flesh, uh, and I certainly hope that we never fully replace that with uh, with with these technologies. But I, I totally agree. I think they can be a huge, a huge asset.
1: Yeah, I think so. I think as far as like our our older population, the patients we Um, do remote patient monitoring and chronic care management with, and we send them home with a small um, iPad-sized device, it gives them a little bit more sense of security because sometimes they aren't able to get in to see their GP, and they just need to have their vital signs checked every day. They need to check in with a nurse so that they feel secure, they feel safe, they feel like they have someone to reach out to if they start to have a health issue. Um, So I think that also gives a little bit of peace of mind and decreases some anxiety especially in our chronically ill patient
0: population. Yes, absolutely. And I think particularly in the uh, in terms of chronic disease management, particularly uh, elderly patients who are at home and, and especially now who are self-isolating, uh, having access to their vital signs uh, can be a really helpful decision-making tool, especially things like oxygen saturations that can, especially with, with coronavirus, that is a, a hugely important piece of clinical information that, the only way we can access that at the moment is by physically going to see the patient or uh, a district nurse going to them um, and uh, yeah, there's huge issues with that exposing them further to to potential coronavirus and also it's very resource heavy sending people out to them just to get their their vital signs so i mean a, a bit of tech that can that can do that that's immensely powerful
1: yeah it really is in fact we 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 think that we were the first company to actually monitor a patient at home that was under investigation for covid and which is is kind of interesting it's actually one of our er physicians that i work with um he had been out of the country and come home and had some symptoms and had passed through hong kong and came into the emergency department um, to see if he could get tested um he wasn't sick enough to be admitted but we sent him home with one of our devices he checked his vital signs a couple of times a day our nurse reached out to him he he's a an emergency physician who took our technology to heart and said he felt very comfortable being able to check his own vital signs and having a nurse just check in on him to make sure he, he was doing okay. So Mm. I think it, I think it's very beneficial.
0: Yeah. So that it's interesting that that worked with uh, a patient who was also an emergency department physician. The, the, one of the big issues with uh, um, spreading this kind of technology, particularly within, um you know elderly frail patients is perhaps they're not okay with some of this technology it's there's a huge barrier to them accessing this and and um do you think that has that been a big challenge when you're trying to to get this used in in that patient group
1: you know initially we kind of worried about that but the way our technology is set up it's very very simple um i can show you a small device that we send home to our elderly population i'm sure if you can see it real well or not yeah yeah but it's it's a small iPad-sized device that just has a lot of icons. It's very it's very user-friendly. So it says temperature. You hit the temperature, and you use the, the probe in your ear, and it, and it records. It's all Bluetooth. Um, so it uh, uploads right into our cloud, and then pushes right to the electronic health record. So the GP has access to that at any time the patient's taking their vitals, and then can request a visit right then. So it's actually been interesting. We've had a lot of elderly um, patients say, wow, this is great. This is easy. Um, I'm not having any challenges with this. And they can take it with them if they go see their grandkids or they decide they want to go on a cruise, they can take this with them to make sure that they're doing okay. So it's very, it's very simple, user-friendly. It walks you through if the blood pressure cuff um, needs to be adjusted, it, you know, it's very easy to use. So.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Great. And I can see that, that user interface you've just showed me just seem very, very intuitive. Um, one pitfall I can envisage with this um, is perhaps patients who are compulsively checking their vital signs and then perhaps not that unwell, and perhaps they are getting some um, some anomalous readings, they perhaps getting low SATs because the probe isn't on properly. Uh, is there a risk that that can create a lot of unnecessary workload uh, for clinicians and also anxiety for patients?
1: Right, definitely. Um, the way we have our products set up is they're patient specific. So if you have a patient that has congestive heart failure, we're gonna have parameters parameters that are set up right for that patient. So if they're checking their vital signs, say 10 times a day, and we're seeing a lot of fluctuations, our nurses will actually be alerted and they will contact the patient via the telemedicine, the Ver technology, um, and be able to see them face-to-face, make sure that they're putting the blood pressure cuff on correctly, making sure that sat monitor is on correctly. So we try to intervene quicker than having them just rush off to the emergency department. So we have three alerts that, that, um, we have programmed into our, our system, a red alert, a yellow alert, and a green alert. So even if the patient doesn't check their vital signs, we're going to get an alert to say, you know what, they're not being compliant. We need to reach out and see why. So there's, there's a lot of reasons and, and, um, alerts that we can kind of, watch and we can watch trends over time which is another big thing so the patients had great blood pressure for five days and then all of a sudden their blood pressure is sky high then we can intervene and say have you been taking your blood pressure medication yeah so
0: absolutely yeah. I mean, and that's a big part, big thing of um what we do in in uh, as gps is monitoring blood pressure and we know that clinic blood pressure is not often a very good reflection of what the true blood pressure is at home um and also with patients with severe hypertension we never really know is this an acute finding or have they been sitting on this for a long time and i think having that historical data would be a really powerful decision making tool
1: yeah it really is it's kind of what we think in the emergency department we don't care about one blood pressure being high but what's your trend been over time so
0: yeah absolutely yeah and another issue that i found with a lot of this tech and i you know i'm a i'm a real tech head i'm uh, i'm a, an early adopter of all this kind of stuff however we uh have a lot of different computer programs and technologies that we're trying out uh, at the moment in the nhs and certainly as, as a gp and the problem with some of these different programs is they don't really talk to each other uh, and there's uh, they often conflict with each other and you have, you have to remember about 500 different passwords uh, and, it, it, and it quickly gets a bit out of hand. Um, how have you managed to kind of solve that that side of things?
1: So with our with our products, we have a clinician portal, a patient portal that that the clinician can go into at any time. They don't need a specific device. They just need a Google Chrome browser and they just log into the portal. It's as simple as that. They can click on what patients they have and connect with their patient like that. All the vital signs diagnostic data goes right up into our cyber secure cloud and then is pushed into that electronic health record. And as long as you're using an, an HL7 interface for your electronic health record, we have no problem communicating with that.
0: I see. I see. Now the problem with UK general practice and uh is that we have about five different systems right. that different practice work on. Hospitals <laughs> in the UK, still on paper notes on the whole. Oh um, yeah, I know. As per you know, if we, we're normally miles behind the healthcare in the US. So <laughs> I, Yeah, I don't paper know might how be that a little bit work. difficult. Yeah.
1: <laughs> but, yeah, like we have a lot of different systems um here within the US as well. Um mm. Epic and Cerner and Point Click Care and all sorts of different ones. And we're able to interface with those. So as long as you are a provider that is connected to that patient, we should be able to get you access to their records.
0: Yeah, you can find ways uh, around it. And thinking about this specific pandemic, um, are there any other ways that your technology is being used at the moment to keep patients out of hospital to help them uh, be safely managed at home?
1: So like I said, we can send home a device with patients. We've Mm -hmm. talked with different ER physician groups um, who are on the front lines of this to work with them on getting these devices within their patients' hands to go home with. I know here in our emergency department, our chief medical officer, John Baugh, he's a doctor that I work with here as well. um, He has seen one patient several times who's just very nervous. They've been diagnosed with COVID and they're they're not... uh, needing admission to the hospital, but they need some monitoring. And so they've come back into the emergency room several times just out of anxiety. Um, so we're working with groups like that to be able to get that, those devices in the patient hands so that we can monitor them at home. Um, another way is to, to um, see those patients at time of discharge so that when they're going home, we can send them home for continued monitoring. Um, so, so those are some of the things we've been doing. We've worked extensively um, up on Capitol Hill with um, Health and Human Services here with the CDC in um, looking at their criteria and being able to coordinate monitoring with that. So,
0: so that's really powerful. That so you can, not only can you prevent unnecessary admission, you can safely monitor patients at, at home and support them at home, but also you it will facilitate earlier discharge.
1: Right, right. We've done, yeah. even just in our not to kind of change the subject a little bit, but in our chronic care um, or our chronically ill population, we did a study of 45 patients, um, looked at their data six months prior to using remote patient monitoring, and then the six months while we were monitoring them. And we had a 100% reduction in hospital admissions. We only had one patient visit the emergency department within that six months, which was a drastic change of what it was the prior six months. Um, when the patient was in the emergency department, the only reason why they didn't have hospital admission is because they had remote patient monitoring to go home to, and the um, accessibility of telemedicine. So the emergency physician felt comfortable sending them home. So I think the same thing applies with COVID. Is yes, you have these patients who are ill and maybe in the hospital for some time, but maybe don't need to be in the hospital for as long as maybe we're keeping them. Maybe they're okay, but we're nervous about this because we don't know yet. We don't know you know, exactly the, how this um, virus is going gonna, is gonna to go, really. Mm. So we can kind of intervene sooner. We can send patients home with a device and mm. really keep a close eye on them, monitor their vital signs a couple of times a day, make sure mm. that they're not having return of symptoms or fever, yeah. things like that. And if we need to intervene quicker and have them come back, then we certainly can.
0: Yeah. I think one big reservation that's been raised in, certainly in the UK, about adopting more of these technologies is cost. Uh, yeah. we're very carefully uh, rationed um, uh, use of, right. of, of, of our resources in, in the UK with, with our National Health Service. Uh, what yeah. do you say to that? Because a lot of people will say that this technology is disproportionately expensive and doesn't add a significant value to make it worthwhile. What do you say to that?
1: Right. I will say remote health solutions, no one can beat us on price, performance, and capabilities. We are far <laughs> cheaper than any of our competitors out yeah. there. Now, in the United States... I know it's very different than in the in the UK. And we do have reimbursement for through Medicare and Medicaid for having a device in someone's home. And especially with COVID, we've we've seen far more CPT codes and billing, you know, rates and reimbursement rates as a as a result of this new COVID-19. So in the UK, I can see that being something that's a real problem or a real concern for a general practitioner. Here, um, it's not quite as a concern. Um, they actually practitioners have the ability to make a little bit of money by having their patients have a have a device in their home. They're able to, you know, get reimbursement on that and, and have some financial benefit from that.
0: Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I genuinely think, Stacy, that in the US, you're about ten years ahead of us in healthcare. And I think what you're doing now is inevitably going to be happening in in the UK, but um, it'll just take us a little longer to get there. (laughs) We'd love
1: to help you. Yeah.
0: (laughs) Um, So another huge, um, huge area of interest at the moment in the kind of technology field is artificial intelligence and the emergence of machine learning uh, through deep neural networks. And the way that. Um, computers now have the ability to uh, also to diagnose disease. Is AI something that you're going to be integrating into your telehealth products?
1: Yes, definitely. It's something that we've talked about quite extensively, and we have started to go down that path a little bit. Um, for instance, um, with our chronically ill patients who have diabetes, heart failure, hypertension, um, depression, those type of um, diagnoses, we have clinical pathways that are set up within our devices. Questions that the patient can answer, you know, a couple of times a week, and that will generate alerts and alarms um, if those answers change, you know, drastically. Or say you're watching a patient for depression, you're able to ask certain questions, and they can answer this daily, or you know, like I said, three times a week, and really see if you're if we're seeing some changes that we need to intervene on. So we've started going down that path already. Another thing that we're doing is we've partnered with a company called Canary Speech, and they're an amazing company that have the ability to make diagnoses just on some simple speech patterns. And they can do this by just listening to the patient for the first time. It's quite remarkable. So we're um, working with them to integrate this into our system, into our uh, virtual exam, um, so that when the patient speaks a couple of minutes, we're able to see, okay, well, Maybe for a, a soldier, maybe they have some PTSD going on, or maybe there's some depression. Um, wow. They're able to, yeah, they're so, able to see if the patient so might through, have
0: Parkinson's with the few minutes of audio that yeah. the um, that program is able to pick out certain parts of, of that speech and suggest potential diagnoses just just from that information.
1: Right. Yes, it's quite incredible. They've been able to isolate biomarkers and and really diagnose patients. It's it's quite incredible. So we're working closely with them. They're a great company.
0: Yeah, it's incredible. I mean, it all sounds very science fiction to me, Stacy.
1: It, I know it does. I know <laughs> it's very interesting.
0: Yeah, but also very cool. And I, I yeah, clearly the the direction things are, are are heading in right now.
1: Yeah, it definitely is. So we're starting down that path. We're not fully down the ai path yet
0: yes. but we are on our way yeah I, I some of the some of my colleagues have um reacted to our former health secretary uh, famously said that doctors would ultimately be fully automated we would be replaced by machines within the coming decades do, do you think um that's going to happen
1: well i certainly hope not i think um <laughs> <laughs> kind of with with telemedicine it, as well. I think there's, there's room for both. You know, I, I think in certain situations, I know in my situation at my hospital, what I do is, you know, a lot of trauma care. So I respond to acutely injured patients um, that require extensive work. um, And and I have a hard time thinking that that could be taken over by a machine. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah, certainly AI and things like that could help, but, but there's something to be said for having your hands on patients and and being at the bedside. So yeah, totally. hopefully there's room for both of us because otherwise we won't have jobs. <laughs>
0: We're out of a job. Yeah. <laughs> um yeah, so let's talk for a moment about the other dimension to this, and that is working in very remote, austere environments, dealing with acute trauma. Tell us about how your technology has helped in those situations.
1: Yeah, our technology is amazing for these environments. Like I said, um, our our ability to connect is, is a match. You know, we have the ability to run full diagnostic data, voice, video along, across a very, very low bandwidth. So in an austere environment, it's excellent. We can, we can even use our military's ATAC network or um, you know, low bandwidth VGAN to, to do this. So it's great. Um, we have kits, larger kits, like I said, for prolonged field care. Um, kits that can be in a, in a clinic, a tent clinic. You know, um, you can take this. I know my business partner, he's been down to Haiti and Dominican Republic several times on humanitarian missions, and he's taken our kits and he's been on the hillside in Haiti um, doing a virtual exam just to get reach back to a neurosurgeon back in the States. So this is really helpful for those real austere environments or, you know, areas where patients just don't have access to care. Um, in those small little clinics or you know they can come into the clinic or we can reach out to them like that so yeah it's very beneficial in austere environments
0: yeah and, and you touched there a little bit on perhaps in humanitarian situations where there is huge need but perhaps not enough expertise on the ground uh where right. you, you can reach back and get the right expertise yeah. on site through digital means mm-hmm. have you got any examples yeah. of where that's been used
1: um, yes. Like I was saying, my John Baugh, Dr. Baugh, yeah. our chief medical officer, he, he goes to Haiti quite a bit and he yeah. was seeing a, a baby in Haiti and the patients, are, the, they just don't have any access to care. There's yeah, been yeah. people down there that haven't even ever seen a physician and they're 50 years old, um, but he was seeing a little baby that had a hydrocephalus and there's no neurosurgeon available and he needed to get help for this baby. So he was able to reach back to that neurosurgeon and really get help. And, and I think that that's important too, is it's not just for patients to reach back to us as providers, but for us as providers to reach back and get, you know, another set of eyes or to get a little more help from a specialist, a specialist or a different specialty. Um, so that's, that's where it's been used. And also in the military, you know, our products. Are really were started to, designed to help those downrange medics that are on the battlefield and and need some help. You know, they may they may have to do a procedure that they haven't done in a very long time or or ever done, and they might need someone to walk them through this on the battlefield. So those real remote austere environments, you know, this is this technology is is amazing and it gives them great help.
0: So. <sighs> I, I say I wonder how far and how safely you can take this. I mean, there's all the famous stories of uh, passengers being talked through landing a plane when the pilot has, uh, uh, right. has been incapacitated. Now I wonder if you would be able to do the same thing with medicine. So if you had a, a layperson that had to perhaps perform life saving surgery, uh, would do you think there would be a time where they could be talked through that over the, uh, through digital means and supported adequately to do a very I say, challenging procedure safely? Do you, do you think that's feasible?
1: I actually do. Um, I know there's been some work with the augmented reality goggles for surgery. And, you know, this has kind of been seen through military and, and different areas, but, you know, you can wear those augmented reality goggles. The physician, the surgeon on the other end of the computer can say, okay, I can see exactly where you need to make your wow. cut. This is how you do it, you know, especially for a fasciotomy or something like that. But as long as a lay person can have the stomach for it, I think that there is the <laughs> ability to walk them through those procedures.
0: Yeah. I mean, that would be quite something. And you, yeah, you just touched like, there on augmented reality as well. Can you talk us through right. what, 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 what's, what is augmented reality and, and how, what, how, what kind of Im- implication will that have in, in your field?
1: So we haven't quite started using this extensively quite yet but we do have the ability to connect that to our devices. So augmented reality goggles are, are t- a kind of a goggle that gives you kind of that, um, a different view, right? You can see different areas. You can see the patient, the physician on the other side can see exactly what you're seeing and actually draw a line where you can see wearing the goggles of what you need mm-hmm. to do. So it's really just another step of, of walking patient through or walking a provider or a lay person through a procedure. So that we really haven't touched on a whole lot yet, but it's definitely in the near future.
0: Yeah, I, I think this is something that Google Glass experimented with, didn't they?
1: Yeah. So
0: you've got, the, you can see the world through the glasses, but also superimposed on that is yes. information pertinent right. to, to, to what's going on in front of you. And uh, I wonder whether you could have a, a surgeon who's operating where the uh computer would, would also see what he's seeing and would be able to identify important structures in front of him, in front of his eyes as a as a, a tool to, to help him operate more safely. Um yeah. you could even label all the anatomy for him I and mean, maybe, maybe you wouldn't even need to learn anatomy in the first place if you had this <sighs> kind of technology. I don't know.
1: Yeah. I think that's, I think that's definitely something that will happen. I think you can be able to see protocols and and directions and instructions, step-by-step instructions right there as you're, as you're working with the patient. Yeah.
0: Yeah. I think, oh, we're not, it doesn't sound like we're we're quite there yet, but that seems to be a direction that things might head in.
1: Yeah, I, I think so.
0: Yeah. Well, it's all really exciting stuff, Stacey. It's um, yeah. it's uh, quite a, uh, an interesting uh, time to, to be practicing medicine. There's lots of innovation uh, happening out there.
1: Yes, there is. It's very exciting.
0: Yeah. Well, thanks so much for your time chatting to us today. If anyone wants to uh, connect with you uh, and find out more about what you're doing, how can they do that?
1: Um, they can go to our website. It's, it's rhsusa.com, Remote Health Solutions, um, you can find me there as well as any of my other coworkers. workers um, We're happy to chat. I'm also on LinkedIn, just Stacey Welker and Facebook as well.
0: Great stuff. And Stacey will, of course, be joining us at this year's World Extreme Medicine Conference in the, the autumn. So you can catch up with Stacey uh, there as well. So thanks so much for your time, Stacey.
1: Yeah, well, thank you, Will. It was great. Great to see yeah, you again.
0: We'll catch up again soon.